Welcome to Reframing Our Stories. This podcast is dedicated to deconstructing the stories we've been told about who we are and how we're supposed to be. I'm your host, Kara Houck. I can't recall how Jennifer and I became acquaintances. Most likely it was because I saw her book and work and I reached out to her on the internet like I tend to do. Jennifer is the author of the book, Permission Granted, Take the Bible into Your Own Hands. She has her PhD in New Testament and Early Christianity and is currently an adjunct assistant professor at the University of Portland, as well as part-time faculty at Portland Community College. The moment I started talking with Jennifer, I became fascinated by her, her knowledge. I immediately was intrigued and she had me thinking all sorts of things. Her book and friendship have given me permission to start looking into what I know to be true for me and the relationship that I have with God. I'm so very glad we get to spend time together today so she can continually open my eyes and I hope she will be able to open yours as well. Jennifer, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much, Kara, for inviting <laughs> to have a conversation. Yay! Yeah. So, so I like immediately when I saw your book was like, well, I need to reach out to this woman. <laughs> I have this weird thing where I'm like, these people are cool. I'm going to send them an email. And I think that's what happened yeah. with us. <laughs> yes, I think it was actually, yeah. <laughs> so thanks for returning my email. That's very kind. <laughs> <laughs> But I know, like, I became extraordinarily interested in sexuality when I went to seminary from my class that I had of, um, what was it? I can't, it was called, um, well, that doesn't matter. I forgot what it's called. (laughs) It's been a day. But um, so because I got excited about it, and I know you went to seminary, when was it for you that you started to look at issues of sexuality within the Bible and just you know, ask those questions of, hmm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was actually the most thought-provoking question, you know, in terms of how to gear up and prepare for our conversation today. I appreciated it Um, because it, you know, it had me kind of do a quick review, personal review of Mm -hmm. my own relationship to sex or, you know, engagement with. And, you know, and it's interesting because I too, it was for me, it was in seminary that I, first started taking um, a more complex like perspective on sex or sexuality. Um, but, you know, and I think um, I'll throw out there just this, just a couple things. I, I have a very um, deeply ingrained image of one moment with a, with a boyfriend, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that was heavily laden with shame. Uh, yeah. More for him, right? Uh, yeah. And and it was all around arousal and the shame for him hmm. in that. Um, and the, yep, and the, really the confusion that that was for me. And that was because we were in that space of you wait to have sex, you wait till you're married to have sex. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was my pre seminary days, my very conservative evangelical days, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I remember going in seminary, someone actually handing me a book called Passionate Marriage, which isn't actually specifically about sex. It's about how to have intimacy, right, with huh. your partner. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with the book? The look on I your think face I've heard time. of it. Yeah, I've heard of yeah. it. Yeah, 
just opened all kinds of things for me in terms of, you know, let's be honest about our bodies and ourselves and honoring that. And then mm. we bring that into a relationship. Mm. And that just, that just shifted everything in terms mm. of sex, right? Or, or yeah. my understanding of my own body and sexuality and, and intimacy with others. So, um, you know, and then I think maybe just to kind of wrap this up, that particular thing, you know, it's like, okay, you start on one piece, right? For me, it was the issue of shame and or okay, being okay with my own body, right? And then, oh my gosh, there are all these other pieces to the conversation, right? Then you start looking at, well, why did I have a negative, like, why would I think that anything about sex is shameful at all like where does that come from you know and (laughs) does that come from anything in my scriptures right or is that from what people have said and then that's connected to our image our body imagery issues and why is there anything in scripture that says anything negative about our bodies like what is that all about you know and then you go into the you know and it just they're all these pieces are connected and then you come back around as you're shaking your head here Kara as I know I guess you're totally tracking right same Lord yeah (laughs) And then ultimately the issue of sin and the connection to, you know, is there something sinful about a particular action or a particular element of my own body, you know? And so just, yeah, it was kind of the floodgates opened at that point, you know, when you start considering something different, I suppose, you know? Just your mention of sin. I know for a long time, I just started to break down. I'm obsessed with um, Genesis, (laughs) you know, the... um, just the creation story and really breaking down. I'm like, I am the person who always asks why. And so I have to know kind of like you said, why do we have experience of shame around sexuality? Where are these, um, these notions of our body being bad? Where does that come from? And I just looked a lot at uh, the creation story and started to figuring things out. And at one point, and my thoughts constantly change, right? Because you're just, you're always processing and always learning. And for a while, I was wondering if, so I kind of want to know your thoughts because you're an expert and genius at this. I'm almost feeling like it's a separation of ourselves from our creator, you know, where I wonder if we start seeing our bodies as separate from an entire whole. Does that make sense? It's like we separated our body from our spirits in that moment in the garden where we like take a bite, you know, that whole premise. And so I could be making that up, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. And I'm curious of where you actually think from your studies, where we have developed the sense of negativity around our bodies. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let me just throw that out. (laughs) You do realize you just, (laughs) I think the question is you just posed, right? Body from our spirit in that moment in the garden. I'm like, okay, first, that's a huge question or, or, you know, concept or even um, way of interpreting that story. And I I think that's where, as a biblical scholar, that's where I start is I, I do not, I do not ever want to dismiss someone's personal preference, their understanding of themselves and their relationship to God, their understanding mm-hmm. of the world. That's not, I'm not, I, I don't want to do back to others what oh, was right. done to me, right? Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. In terms of like, no, wrong, well, you know, 
But I, so, and I think that's why I am a biblical scholar is I, I, I love the texts and I love to talk about, right? Your face lights up, right? Yes. Um, I love to talk about the ideas that we get from them and how they encourage us and inspire us in that true gut sense of inspiring, right? Mm -hmm. So when you refer to that second story about creation in Genesis 2, right? Because mm-hmm. you are talking about Genesis 2, not I'm Genesis I'm talking about Genesis 2, yes. There no. are two, right? I mean, just to be honest, right? There are two different stories there. And they, yeah. they, they, they and a lot of people don't recognize that, correct? Right, mm-hmm. right. And so, so I like to just, you know, kind of be honest about, okay, well, we have two different stories there. And so you're referring to the one that I do take personally to be trying to talk about um, intimacy or relationships or this yearning that most people, not all, that's important to note too, right? It's yeah. not, but, but most people do have this, this desire to pair up or partner up or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So that's how I read Genesis 2. Mm-hmm. And then your, your, then your comment about is there shame or something that comes out of Genesis three, which is again obviously part of the grander picture here, but that is also getting at something different, I think, than what Genesis two is getting at, right? right. Mm-hmm. So sin is, I think, so much more. It, it is complex for sure, and the Christian tradition has inherited, as you know, you know. 2000 years or more of understanding this idea. Right. And I don't think that we see it the same way as they originally, you know, as well, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit invested in the idea of challenging that that story in chapter three is about sin at all. Awesome. Say more. <laughs> I don't think that's good. <laughs> Well, I just love, I mean, I thank you for even like starting to engage this question, but it's just, that's what I find fascinating is where we place meetings and the things that have been told through us, to us throughout time and how we lock onto things and say, this is the truth. This is what this means. And then as we go forward in our lives and we're like, is that the truth? Is this really what that means? Because now I'm experiencing it very differently. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, maybe kind of briefly to get to one part of your earlier question, where does this whole, this whole idea of shameful or sinful bit bit in relation to our bodies even come from? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think this is, this is about, you know, the, the story itself talks about shame. Right. I don't think that that is how we need to feel about it, but it does talk about shame. Mm-hmm. And I think that tells us more about the ancient author mm-hmm. than it is telling us how things should be. So, yeah. And I think that's an important distinction, mm-hmm. right? We're prompted to call that shameful when we become aware of our vulnerabilities. Cause I think mm-hmm. that's what if Genesis 3 is about anything, from my perspective, it's about our opening of our eyes, an awareness right. that does make us vulnerable, that it kind of stinks to have a conscience, because yeah, I should be nice for didn't at times, but I yeah. do, and so I lose sleep over being rude yeah. to someone, or, right? So 
I, you know, I get really frustrated in these particular moments because someone writing that story associated shame or shamefulness with vulnerability. Mm. And I don't think that needs to be the way we understand it, but that's how they put those, that was their experience of being vulnerable, made them feel ashamed or they felt ashamed or they didn't know how to be comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. And so so many people, I think, have been influenced by that early urge or sense of embarrassment or shame mm-hmm. that I really wish someone had been able to sit down with that author and say, okay, now let's just talk about this so we can just be okay right. with being vulnerable. Because it is in our scriptures, right? It is in these scriptures. And so people are taught that it's shameful. And then and then people just run off and it's shameful. They don't not everyone sits down to think through now is that true mm-hmm. is it true that being vulnerable is an embarrassing or shameful thing mm-hmm. personally me speaking i don't think so i understand right. why people think that and why you know and i've gone through a lot of therapy to work through that yeah right <laughs> right when it's so hard like in what i do right of teaching yes. people and i recognize it within myself i always tell people though I'm teaching this stuff, don't think that I'm awesome at it, (laughs) right? It's like I am daily working on everything that I'm learning. But the sense of vulnerability, like that's what I really feel we strive for to get into the depth of relationships that we need, that we want and need to have. And it's, it's this battle of we want to be vulnerable, we crave intimacy, but we're terrified of both of them. Yeah. You know? So it's like, how do we, how do we move forward with that? Yeah. But. Yeah. So, you know, there's this part of me that really wants to stick with this story with you right now, Kara, right? Because mm-hmm. it is having, you know, what, what is that story talking about? That story is talking about, again, from my very biased perspective, I think that story in Genesis 3 is talking about um, a human thing an awareness, a consciousness. The language itself, talking about their eyes were opened. Mm -hmm. I mean, so many people just kind of read right past it and get to the end and focus on the end of the chapter instead of just kind of sitting with, what's the language of this story telling us that the people were wrestling with? Mm -hmm. Or the people wanted a story or a backstory for? That, I think, is 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 where where I like to sit with students right yeah. and and in my book like in my, the work that I produce I try to invite people to just sit with the story instead of jumping to what you've always been told that it says so how like your book you know permission granted I have just probably the entire thing underlined <laughs> you know you just are constantly doing this so you're I mean you challenge people and you know, a lot of times, I think growing up in the Christian environment and different, depending on which Christian denomination you are a part of, you're taught to believe something. I've been able to at least, you know, been able to question and be able to um, dig deeper and say like, no to this, no to that. And then be like, okay, this is how it works for me. But sometimes a lot of people weren't given that freedom to do that without experiencing all that shame. And so I'm wondering with your book, you're giving people obviously permission to go in that, but have you experienced people 
in response to your book getting unnerved or frazzled you know um what are some of the reactions you have had from it yeah yeah no i think um there's been the whole spectrum of reactions right mm -hmm. there you know you could just go on amazon and there are a handful of reviews that are like this is awful right and it just they they take me to task on all these things which are they're essentially delinea delineating the things that my book challenges that they don't want to let go of and right. i get that i yeah. get that right mm -hmm. Uh, and then there are, you know, but the, the interactions of the responses that are really typical um, are also quite similar to what I experience with students in classrooms. So I hope you don't mind. I'm going to think about no, it because yeah. that's because those are people I'm actually interacting with, you know, um, but it, it is a very there's a very typical cycle, right, that students will go through who are who have come from a Christian background regardless of the denomination they've this bible kind of stands in for something for them right mm -hmm. it's this item this sacred collection for sure but it's the thing that they kind of can tangibly put their trust in god in right mm -hmm. it stands for that so yeah i raise questions i say you can question it and it feels like the whole slippery slope thing is opened wide mm -hmm. and they don't know how far they can ask how far they can go in asking questions about this thing that has been central to guiding them, right? Mm -hmm. And so you say, do people get frazzled? Are people, people are uncomfortable. People will shut down. This is more than I can question. Sure. And I get, you know, and it, exactly, it all mm -hmm. makes sense to me. And I try almost every class to start from the top and say, okay, we're gonna talk about some ideas today and you might not agree with them, but can you entertain them? Can you wrap your mind around them? Um, or I'll name what it is that's at stake in asking these questions, right? Mm -hmm. We're gonna talk about Isaiah 7 and how it's used in math in the gospels to underscore the idea in the virgin birth. Like, that's pretty big. <laughs> right. We're gonna talk about something big. Um, and then I have people like you, Kara, who have told me or showed me their notebook full of notes that are like, I, or, you know, I read it through five times straight because it just helped me to refrain, reframe the way I think about what the Bible is. My own positionality to this collection called the Bible that is really important to me. Yeah. So it's the whole spectrum. And, and I was in that party of, Oh crap. <laughs> right. Right. Oh yeah. Pulling I, the rug out. Right. I mean, that was kind of the experience. What was interesting is I met my husband at seminary and we both had different reactions too for what happened where um my husband was a little more shaken, like what? You know? <laughs> and I was like, All right, this is great. <laughs> it was very much yeah, it was very much I I mean I'm going to repeat this so many times and I do in all my workshops, but I think this is why I'm obsessed with digging into the whys of the world and religion and all this, and then pairing it with sexuality because they're so interconnected and they're both so big and we try to make them both so very small. That's a really interesting way of putting it. Yeah. You know, I, I do. I do. And I think that that is why 
we're in so much turmoil all the time because it's hard for us to, to branch out and go big, to be able to recognize. I tell people it's okay for us to live in the arbitrary and not understand everything and to know that that is the fascinating part of our world and to look at it with wonder instead of fear. Yes. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, because it's not something you can control. And boy, is that scary, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so, coincidentally, I do feel like fear kind of controls me too many times. So. <laughs> Except maybe in these two elements. <laughs> I don't know. I, mean, I like the way you put that, right? It is so big and we try to make it small. And, you know, so then I'm like, and, and why do we do that? Why? why do people want to make it small mm-hmm. so they can understand or can, you know, put it in this nice little box and we can talk about it as something you don't do until then, instead of talking about it more complexly and trusting people oh, to yeah. process and to go through that. And it's, you know, I, I remember a, a friend of mine talk who I met in seminary and she was pretty important in my own kind of like expanding my own horizons theologically. And I remember when she made a comment about her boys hitting puberty and, and being really scared about talking about sex and all, and I thought, you? Like, what? You know, it, when it becomes very real and the very real people that she, you know, helps bring into the world and she loves and it's complex and oh boy, and, and she just wanted to protect them from it. And this woman who's incredibly liberated, you know, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. oh, it's real humans. Yeah, it's complex and scary, and they might make some what people call mistakes, and that's okay. And- oh yeah, and it's fascinating in terms of sin too. I feel like we put sexual sin. I feel like there's a hierarchy, yes. you know. Agreed. And our culture, the American culture, for sure, is obsessed with sex. <laughs> there's yeah. this great, great quote um, called. It's from, it's out of the book from, um, Al, it's Al Vernacchio. He's a sex educator, wrote For Goodness Sex. And in that book, it says, we are sexually obsessed to the point that we're sexually repressed. Yes. Or switch that. Maybe it was switched. We're sexually repressed to the, to the point that we're sexually obsessed. Yes, yes because we don't, right. We mm-hmm. have been given healthy ways of talking about it, thinking about it. I absolutely agree with that. Right. Right. I mean, you become obsessed with something that you haven't been given mm-hmm. a healthy or free access to, right. To be able to work with it. I think. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, and what's fascinating to me is like the more you study sex for me mm-hmm. and the more you integrate it with God, it's just one, you know, so much more about how we function and there's just so many worlds to discover. And I think God has become, if I can use this phrase, more delicious. <laughs> yeah. yes, of course. In studying sex, do you feel the same? Like the more you have, you have dived into the scriptures well more than I have. And so what kind of things have you discovered? I think about God in this path of studying different sexuality issues within the Bible. Mm-hmm. And how we've come to frame them and how you've been able to reframe them for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, you know, I'm, it, it 
it's a troubling question to me because, <laughs> yeah. you know, thinking about my response to that question is really kind of, it, it makes me deeply sad because mm -hmm. I, I just don't think we have very much in the Bible to give us a healthy example. We just don't. There is, in my very biased, but longstanding, lots, as you said, coming, you know, I, I have a great deal of respect for letting the Bible be what it is instead of trying to make it be what I want it to be. Oh, I, that's, yeah. I have, no, I have nothing, I have, I don't need it to be anything. So, I, so looking at it, there is god is silent in the face of violence and abuse god is silent in the face of you know exploitation um <clears throat> people who are rapists are not held to account yeah um so you know i could just kind of go down a list yeah i don't like the way god is depicted in the bible when it comes to sex and mm. that is a big deal to me yeah, because I want people, <clears throat> excuse me, I would like people to be able to turn to this thing that is so important to them and to have good examples. And we are strikingly limited on that. Mm. And so much of what is said in relation to sex isn't very healthy. Right. So coming back to your comment about God becomes more delicious. I agree. And that requires, and this is where it gets scary, going beyond the Bible itself. Right. You really have to, I think. Yeah. So how do you help people understand that? Right. Because I do think, you know, we're called, in my opinion, to be in relationship. It's all about being connected and being in relationship. And I guess for me, God, in my opinion, has become more delicious, as I said, because my relationship has changed with God, where for a lot of times I've been like, I have to do X, Y, and Z to be good. And, but I have to be X, Y, and Z to be worthy, right? I have to be good. I need to act like this accordingly. And so it was very much God on a throne, <laughs> as we see, watching over yeah. where now I feel like God is doing a dance with me. Yeah. you know, and is just wanting to be engaged with me and is with me along the way and is taking all of my crazy thoughts that I have daily and is, you know, we're processing them together. Yeah. yeah. So how, like, but people do obviously take the Bible as something that is just, um, this is what it is and it can't be more than that. Yeah. You know, and, and one of the things, I mean, you asked me, how do I help people or encourage or invite people to, to process that or to get through that? I mean, what you've just said to me, at least, sounds like, um, who, who do you believe God is? Mm -hmm. So for you, you know, you had an element of judginess about who God was, right? Yeah. In the, yeah, I think in the yeah. beginning, in the be like at first it was, it was comfort when I, when I started to believe in God, but then it was also, I feel like God was always very, uh, parental in a way, yeah. in a loving way, but it was society and the expectations within the institution of church that made me feel that I had to be a certain way. 
And that's why, right? What and where do, where does the church get that? Or where do people get that? Well, guess what, folks? I don't want to burst anyone's bubble, but God is depicted as really extremely judgy. Yeah. In yeah. the Bible. And to be clear, I don't think it's just a Hebrew Bible, God is judgy and violent, and the Newer Testament, God is loving. It isn't. God is just as judgy in the Newer Testament if you're willing to see that. Mm. But most people are not because they've been trained with these lenses. Yeah. Right? And so the question comes back to who do you believe God actually is so that when you're having this, whatever the topic, conversation about sexuality or reframing you know working through your own sexuality so that the love the, the god you imagine that you relate to and love right is having a loving celebratory engagement mm-hmm. with you versus well now that kind of interaction with another human is wrong mm-hmm. and you should feel bad about that right those are just who is the god that you believe you're relating to and with right, right? And, and that, that is quite deep, especially for someone who grew up in the church with a particular image, as you said, a God on a throne or some sort of watching you. And man, that can be really awkward if you believe that God's watching you if you're making out. Like, do you really believe God's <laughs> watching that, that scene? That's awkward. How am I doing, God? How am I doing? <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Like, that's awkward. And yeah, that is truly what is running through lots of kids' minds right? Well, yeah. Well, an adult, right? Everyone in a sense, unless like, if you're able to, again, reframe the way you see that and be able to invite it into God into the process in a different way. Yeah, exactly. As a way of creating intimacy as well, I think with God and a partner at the same time. Yes. Or yourself, whatever. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so that really does come to a place of which are you going to trust or respect more? The depiction of God in these texts, in these scriptures, or what you know and believe to be true about God, which is Mm -hmm. loving, nurturing, supportive, life-giving, right? And so, you know, I'm just at the point in in an online, you know, online courses at a community college of, we're talking about the prophets and the depiction of God there is incredibly judgy and violent. Mm. And, and so many of them can just say, well, that's okay. Cause God told them and warned them and all this stuff. I'm like, hmm. yeah, let me invite you to reconsider that one. <laughs> yeah. Right. Let's not take that a little bit more seriously. What you have just internalized or are working really hard to be okay with. Mm-hmm. You're finding a way for the God of the universe to, for it to be legit for the God of the universe to be willing to smack down in serious ways. Like, so, you know, you asked me that question. It's a lot of work. It's a yeah. lot of work to undo what you've been taught and what you found ways. You've, you've found ways in your mind, your heart, your being to accommodate this kind of a depiction of God. Mm-hmm. And, and so freeing is the word that comes to mind, right? right. To, to find a different image of who or what God is for you. Right. And I believe that has to, in my opinion, happen through relationship, right? Absolutely. And for some, and I think that's another area that can be saddening for me is that 
some of us are able to experience that depth in relationships and uh, connection with people. And there's other folks who struggle, right? Who are, whose relationships that they are in are just uh, not amazing or abusive and are filled with trauma. And so it's interesting then how our stories develop of how God is and, you know, yeah. how we relate that to the stories that we read in the Bible and all that. I mean, I'm not kidding, Kara. I just typed yesterday 10 times to 10 different students, hey, what if, if a human being behaved this way, how would we characterize that person? Mm-hmm. And, and then I put in parentheses, hint, <laughs> people in the psych realm, psychology, right? Psych, psychiatry oh, yeah. will characterize this as abusive and manipulative. Yeah. Food for thought. Like this is legitimate if people don't, are not conscious of finding ways to love someone who is manipulative. Mm. That is, this is, it's no small game. Mm-mm. This is a big deal that God is depicted this way. <clears throat> you find a way to, but we're not going to name it as that because it's God. Right. We don't get to challenge how God, what God is or who God is or who God, right? Because it's God of the universe. And so you got to just conf- find a way to be okay with it instead of, as you have spoken of, wow, this, is that true for me? Is mm-hmm. that really, but but you just refer to people in abusive relationships or whatever. And I absolutely know it is complex. I am not trying to boil it down to one thing at all. Right. No. But wow, that billions of people have, have found, done the mental gymnastics to relate to a God they believe to might act this way. Ask them to act this way. Right. Mm-hmm. So I just, oh gosh, the thing, you know, I, I don't want to derail too much here on the conversation, but I, I think they are very much connected, right? Yeah. We just went deep today, just like right yeah. there. <laughs> Everyone just take a breath, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, because I go- No, I don't apologize. I went there. I was the one who's yeah. like, so let me just go yeah. to the of the world. Well, <laughs> but I- but see, you know, like I wrote my dissertation on passage in First Peter that models advising women to stay in abusive relationships. Mm. So it's not, you know, it's it's through and through for me, right? This yeah. is cover to cover. We have examples or moments of this issue. And so it's, you know, yeah, it's important to me to be able well, to so one of the things that you are working on is a, is a series of videos yes. that you're doing. Yes. That's exciting. It and is. you're talking about marriage and the Bible. Mm-hmm. And for me, uh, that to looking at marriage and understanding the essence of virginity has completely changed for me um, in the, in the es- essence of looking for me at the way I grew up being obsessed. Well, feeling for one that again, my value would be when I became a wife, you know, that my sense of value was wrapped up in a man. Uh Um, And if I became a mom or not, 
And to see the way that from a young age, we are given this verbiage or fairy tale to the girls right away of being a princess and the prince comes to save you. I, in my college dorm, all of us would gather together and watch the wedding story to be quickly then followed by the baby story. And we had our popcorn and we're like, oh my gosh, (laughs) it's really sad. But that's what we did. And I just remember fantasizing by the age five, what my wedding was going to be like. Oh my gosh, really? Oh, I was there at age five. I was like, I, you know, really the boys who I liked the most growing Mm -hmm. up, my name would be Kara, Mm -hmm. their last name, Mm -hmm. followed up practicing, Mm -hmm. figuring it out. (laughs) I know that a lot of girls do. It's just like... I mean, I could have spent my time doing many other things, Uh um, which makes me sad. But so many of us think about that. And if you look at the wedding industry, it's a billion dollar industry. We play off of the, like, you are beautiful for an entire day. Look at you, sparkly dress, walking down the aisle. Speak to us about this work that you're doing and marriage on the Bible, because I find it fascinating. Thank you. Well, first of all, I was going to say, I did want to tell you um, that having this conversation with you was actually a big piece of me working really hard over the weekend uh, <laughs> to make all of the videos available. So they're yeah. now, yeah, they're now um, to rent or to purchase online. Um, and I did want to share with you one or two of those videos because we had had this conversation about virginity, right? Yes. Um, last fall when we spoke. <clears throat> um, so wow speak to you about marriage and and the bible and you know gosh (laughs) uh i think biblical storyline um undergirds supports that that uh focus on women as primarily valuable in their relationship to a man Mm -hmm. right yeah Uh, I absolutely, you know, one of the videos is called Making Babies with a question mark, right? Is that the thing that makes women important in the Bible? Um, Yes and no, right? Absolutely it is. You know, that is how women are framed. You know, the caveat there is there's, there are just as many women who are valued not for their vaginas or uteruses. Mm. We don't focus on that. That is a piece that has carried over. Yeah. Right. Um, there is a very heavy women are baby makers theme in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I think that's something to wrestle with. I think that's something to look at and to reconsider for oneself. Is that mm-hmm. true? Is that really the thing that makes us value? Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, one of the primary things that are starting points for me in this series, and therefore when I want to talk with people about marriage in the Bible is to consider that what what do we mean by marriage today right is that what they are talking about in the bible right and the quick answer there is no no (laughs) (laughs) let's all say it together (laughs) (laughs) no it is not Right. right. And that's an important place to start. Are we mm-hmm. going to turn to a source that doesn't even have a word for to marry? I mean, there isn't a verb to marry. Fascinating. In the Hebrew Bible. Okay. Yeah, isn't that fascinating? Mm-hmm. And there is in the Newer Testament, there's a verb to be. But, but here's the thing. 
we have more examples in the Hebrew Bible. So that's where people tend to go is to look at those relationships, right? Mm. I get the, I have to kind of come down a little bit here. Um, <laughs> the, you know, when it says, you know, and I've, you know, oh, it says to marry in my English translation. You're wrong, Dr. Bird. I'm like, actually, let's talk about that. Every single translation committee has led you to believe that it's talking about marriage. They have put the word to marry or to engage, be engaged to in your English translation, but that isn't what the story itself is saying. The story is saying to take. The story is saying, hmm. the story says that you're a woman before you get, get married, air quotes, and you are a woman after. You are a man before you purchase a woman from her father, and you are a man afterwards. Hmm. We have a whole slew of terms to help us delineate before and after, don't we? Wow, yeah. But, but biblically speaking, they didn't. So they are thinking about it very differently than we are. Mm -hmm. So marriage isn't even a thing as we think of it. doesn't even exist yet in the Hebrew Bible. In the Newer Testament, we do have a verb gameo, to marry. Yeah, it's not used very often. But men and women are still just men and women. There isn't a noun to delineate wife versus woman or husband versus man. It's just man and woman before and after. So, so I lay out, you know, like in the video and then in the book that I'm writing about this, how does it change things for you if you go read through this path like Genesis chapter three and take out wife and husband and replace it with man and woman? Yeah. How does that change things for you? And I get students say, oh, it doesn't change a thing for me. I'm like, oh, that's actually BS. <laughs> yeah. I want you to think about the implication. It changes a lot, right? It changes a lot. Mm -hmm. There's a reason that translation committees have made the choice to call that first woman, that first, that second human who's created in Genesis 2, right? In Genesis 2, 23, therefore, we shall call this one woman for out of the side of, you know, for out of man she was taken. And the very next verse, every single English translation implies marriage yeah a man will leave his parents and cling to his wife well guess what folks the story itself is saying a man's going to leave his parents and join to his woman that's what it says hmm. it's his woman okay sure she's she's property yeah let's set that aside because we get that that's that's beginning to end okay no what it's being so so if we remove the wife label and just say a man, therefore a man's going to leave his parents and join to his woman and start his own family, that shifts what we think that story is talking about. Mm -hmm. And it, there's this concept of no sex before marriage isn't even, a, it's not even physically possible according to the Hebrew Bible, because when a man goes out and purchases a woman, he has sex with her and that's what marks her as his. Wow. Yeah. We're just not talking about the same thing here. Right. So back to your, you know, talking about marriage in the Bible is again, kind of deep, right? If we yeah. want to just be honest about it. Mm -hmm. And I do well, want people to be honest about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, people, I mean, I think we, we associate the whole falling in love and Yes. Our two souls become one and stuff with the Bible. And a lot of that, right, is from the Victorian age. Totally. Exactly. Let's talk about love, right? Yeah. When, scripturally speaking, when is love talked about? 
when do souls become two souls become one two souls only become are only connected in one place jonathan's to david hmm. the only time soul language comes up is when it talks about jonathan's soul being bound to that of david's because he loved him as his own soul interesting that is the only time and love yes J uh isaac loved rebecca or no no, no jacob loved Le rachel that's it we don't know what rachel thought or felt we don't know what you know this concept of love the love chapter in the newer testament first corinthians 13 yes I have issue with half of that, but you know, the, the, you know, but Paul was saying it to the community. He's yeah. Like, hey, couples. Yeah. There is here. I'm giving you all the like little juicy heart. Like there is Je Jesus never talks about love and marriage. Paul doesn't talk about love and marriage. Hmm. The Bible is talking about different things when it comes to this pairing up. The Bible is talking about it very differently. And I really want us to be honest about that so that we can acknowledge that mm -hmm. and then move on into more healthy, loving, nurturing, right. open, right? Into respectful intimacy, mutuality. Like there's, there isn't a single couple in the Bible that's talked about as being entered into mutually by two equals or, or that this con connection is based on love. There isn't. There just isn't. Well, what about Song of Solomon? Well, those none of those folks are married. I know, right? Okay, yes, which is great <laughs> for people right? to know, right? Because that yeah, is the area where we have the most erotic language, I would say. Exactly. And those yeah. two are not yeah. married. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it is, it is beautiful and fun. Absolutely, Kara. This language is they have it's you know trying to evoke something beautiful and passionate and loving and they've known each other and they, none of those couples are married and I, yes i agree with you i think that's important and then i also have to rain on your parade a little bit yeah and sure. i like that the, even it is the most erotic language in the bible and it is all focused on the physical oh yeah beautiful my love yeah that's interesting and, right and it then it delineates her beautiful eyes and hair and cheeks and neck right. and i think this is lovely by the way i'm not trying to be down on this at all i think that's beautiful but it's not ever saying damn woman your thoughts make me you know like there's nothing about you being arousal invoking right which is there's more to us than just our physical so with all of that, then, how would you then take this, the ideas and the stories we have from the Bible to then make them into what we know today as being healthy and life-giving relationships? You know, in terms of we need that intimacy and the connection, you know, but then there's also people who say, do we really, um, like, and in terms of sexual relationships, do we need to have that intimacy and connection or are we putting too much moral ground around it you know what i mean oh boy kara <laughs> you know i mean honestly that's an important like essential question mm -hmm. and i i just don't know you know i'm just one of the questions you asked me 
ahead of time to kind of get my thoughts rolling. Um, you ask, you know, what kinds of things have I had to reframe yeah. as a result of my studies and research? And, and, and you also say, what's the main thing you want people to understand? And, and I, in every question you've posed here today, right? In every comment, I go back to well, what is being said about this in the Bible? Let's look at that honestly mm -hmm. and decide if that is still relevant. Is that still, does that lead to a loving, healthy, respectful relationship with, with myself, with someone else, with God? Yeah. And the prop, I mean, I, I Try, I'm trying really hard not to say negative things directly about the Bible in this conversation. But the problem is so much, so much is not helpful. It is harmful. Hmm. So back to that comment you made earlier about we're so repressed about sex that we're obsessed by it or with yeah. it. Mm -hmm. I, that's a part of, I think, what's going on here is that it, is that there isn't anything health, there is very little that's healthy in the Bible, so that we can't actually end up having a, a deep, engaged, interesting conversation about relationships and sex based on the Bible, because it's not there. So we have very confined definitions and boundaries and this and that. But then you want to actually say, so so then is is having casual sex with someone, is that okay or not? Like, we haven't agreed on what is foundation, uh, on any kind of a healthy starting point, because we don't, right. we're having to turn to the Bible for it. That's where, what we have is male-dominated relationships and women obeying and submitting and finding a way to be okay with that. And that's where right. we're starting. Yeah. And there are plenty of people who want to be honor the Bible. And so they found a way to make that work. And it ends up being very subversive to that very framework in order for that to work. It's really fascinating. Yeah. And it's so like, that's what's hard. It's so damaging, right? Because we do think we read those relationships and we see that women were property and is, uh, you're supposed to be, remain silent and the women are supposed to take on these roles. But then, and then you realize as a woman, if you live by that, like some people are okay because I think that they have determined that to be okay. But at the same time, there's parts of them dying inside. <laughs> you know, it's very, when you just take on, you know, um, this is why a lot of sex educators, we talk about pleasure because pleasure is a justice issue. It is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, like it's, being able for both partners or whomever, like I, I talk to people like both partners, whoever they may be, should be experiencing equal amounts of pleasure. And what, somebody's pleasure may not look the same as your pleasure. Exactly. And so you have to learn how to communicate those things. Exactly. But where are we given those? Where are examples? you? Given Except for, so talk to me about this then. Okay. I tend to think that and maybe I've made this up <laughs> for myself <laughs> I could say that but I do believe for me the relationships I think that Jesus brought himself into show a sense of that at least a sense of trying to find equal 
equality within a relationship, but maybe that's because I wanted that to be the case and made that up. So then speak to me about the way Jesus entered into relationships with people. Uh, you know, those who I think about being in the dinner together, I think about, you know, the last supper or whatever, but also I think about him sitting with people who others rejected and things like that. So curious. Flip it a little bit if you don't mind, but I do want to yes. ask this question. Um, do you, Kara, think that Jesus had sex? So my thing is, if Jesus was human, if God, if Jesus is God incarnate, then I and wanted to understand what it was to be human. Then I'm hoping that Jesus had sex. Mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm on that <laughs> right that, please, for, please I hope you experience that you know right mm -hmm. right but even you know I don't get to have really gentle conversations with students but like just to throw it out there and say do you think Jesus had sex I mean it's hard enough for some people to think of Jesus having taking a dump taking a poop yeah because Jesus is God to them and so yeah why is sex being sexually active? <clears throat> why is being sexually active absolutely have? To, why is that separated from God to begin? Yeah, with, right. So I don't think it should be. I think no. right. Yeah, it, I don't think it should be right. But okay. So so then you ask you know about Jesus and relationships and intimacy, and I you know. What I think is interesting is that Jesus has pretty frigid relationships. Hmm. At least that's how I read him. Yeah. I'm like, well, maybe I need to go back and look more closely. But and, and that's why I smiled when you said that, that I wanted to see there. I and I, I get that and I respect that you want that because that is how you see healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, you want Jesus to be endorsing healthy relationships. Yeah. But I don't think that he does much of that. Yeah. I don't think he's depicted doing much of that. Hmm. He, you know, does he affirm women? Uh, yeah, actually, there are a handful of times when he does, but there are a handful of times even in those examples where he's not. So it's complex, right? Mm -hmm. The forgiveness of the woman at the at the um, that he, that's brought before him, who's quote caught in adultery. Well, goodness gracious, folks, let's unpack that story a little bit, right? How do you catch someone in the act of adultery at eight o'clock in the morning? You know, like this oh. is a complex scene, uh, and and they're using a woman <laughs> to get at Jesus. Like it's a very complex scene, and he does a very loving thing, but he doesn't ultimately do the most loving thing at the end because he still ends up judging her. So hmm. where, you know, the question I think becomes, where do you see him actually endorsing equality in relationships? Where do you see him doing that? And, and I'm not trying to give you homework. I just think. <laughs> well, you have, but that's fine. <laughs> I'm going to go after this. And <laughs> right? I mean, no, but it's good for us to read, you know, I mean, I obviously went to seminary, but it's been a, a moment since I've really d dove deep into the passages. And so it is something that I got to look back into and really dissect a bit. I mean, I hope you will. And I, oh, yeah, I will, 100%. but I think that, that, that 
kind of reinforces my the point that I would like that I want people to understand when you ask that question I mean you know like what is it that you want I want people to be really honest about what is going on in the Bible mm. first and let's just be really honest as much as we can be and and when you start to do that you start to realize how much you've been told that it says something that it doesn't yeah. or you really need it to say X, Y, and Z. And so that's what you see that it's saying in various parts. So I guess my question would be then, what does the Bible say about us? Mm. Hmm. Well, there is that beautiful moment in the first chapter of Genesis that God creates humans, male and female at the same time in mm -hmm. God's image, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, in my opinion, that is also bound up with a very complex other set of ideas. So it's not so simple either. Yeah. Is, it, does God create us to be, to dominate over the whole world? Well, gosh, that's, that's a very human, you know, idea, I think. Uh, <laughs> we're the apex of creation. I've heard that said so many times. I'm like, I just don't agree or believe. <laughs> anyway. Um, who are we though as humans? Who are we, you know? I, I mean, we're, it's good. God saw that everything that was created is good. Mm -hmm. And when humans were created, it was stove mode. It was very good, you know? And I, I do believe that. Um, it's just few and far between for the scriptures that, that scriptures endorse that, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's where it's pretty sketchy, right? If we need something to be affirmed in the Bible in order for it to be okay today, that's a little, that's not a very pretty world. Yeah. And that, I want people to be honest about that hmm. so that we can then get on to finding positive examples to work with. Does that make sense? What I've said? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to go with. The question I asked you of, do you think our culture is changing in our relationship with the Bible and God? And how do you foresee it looking in the future? Mm -hmm. You know, I, in general, I do think that, you know, each generation that I've encountered, you know, in my very limited time here on this planet, you know, I, I do see each generation having a little bit more openness and a little bit more um, agency in how they engage the Bible and the concept of who God is or what God is. I, I mean, in general, I do mm -hmm. think that's happening. I think, I mean, I think probably as long as you and I live, there will always be a contingent of people who read, who see the whole Bible through the lens of 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scriptures God breathed is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, righteousness. Like, I think there will be people who use that verse to see and understand the whole Bible. And, and I get that orientation. I held that orientation towards the Bible, right? I understand it. Mm -hmm. And that dismantling that perspective of what the Bible is, is what has brought me, you know, was really scary. And as you and I've talked about, um, but ultimately incredibly freeing and has made me a healthier human being. Hmm. So do I think that that kind of a thing is happening? I do. I think that there's a growing interest in that. I think there's a growing interest in people being aware that 
they've been told that the Bible says X, Y, and Z, and they're not sure that it does, or they want to know if it does. They want to know what for themselves what it says. I think that's a good thing. I think that's a healthy thing. And I've had a lot of people say they have a greater respect for the Bible because of that process. Yeah. They understand other people better because of that process. I think it's mm-hmm. a healthy thing. Yeah. What about uh, church communities and where do you see that heading and how we're working in, you know, the church as an institution? Well, when I refer to generations, that was my way of trying to kind of nod to the fact that I get that beliefs that you've had your whole life are not easily changed. Yeah. So, right. Mm-hmm. A, and so a church community that has a lot of people who've been on the planet for a while I get why many of those folks don't really want to think differently about these issues, but why there are a lot of, in the younger generations in general, right? But certainly, certainly people, older people as well, but it's just, there aren't as many older people who are willing to do the work of, of such a major shift in their ideology, their understanding of God, their beliefs about how God works or how the world works. So I, what is, that is why I put together this series of videos is it is intended to help people walk through one topic at a time. Let's take a look at this. What does the Bible actually say? What do you think about that? How do you feel about that? Yeah. Right, it gets at who we are centrally to to raise these questions. So, I am heartened that there are enough congregations out there that want to do the work that that compelled me. You know, like okay, if I do this work of creating the series, there are enough people out there that it's actually going to be worth it. Yeah, for energy and for them to actually have something that is. I hope well informed in a scholarly way as well as emotionally, right? This is this is work. It needs to be done carefully and safely. But I think that I think that there are a lot of congregations out there who do want this kind of who do want to do that work, right? right. Who do see that this is valuable and important and realize that it's work, not just, hey, of course we love LGBTQ folks, right? Theologically, believing that LGBTQ folks are genuinely fully human. Yes, also created good. Right? (laughs) Believing that theologically is one thing. Finding a way to back that up with the Bible is entirely different. And Mm -hmm. I love that there are so many people out there doing the activist work around the theology. But I personally believe that until we can address the roots of our misinformed views Mm. which predominantly come from what the bible says on these topics until we address those roots and figure out what to do with these passages then the theology is not going to be really well grounded for us because it doesn't connect to what the bible is saying Mm. i mean I've, I've compared it to cutting uh, dandelions. I love dandelions. I, I, I drink a tea that has dandelions in it. So I'm not trying to be down on dandelions. But if you're trying to get rid of dandelions from your yard, you don't just cut off the head and right. move on. You got to get to the roots. 
-hmm. a lot of theology, activist theology is really, is just addressing the ideas, just cutting off, we're, we're getting new heads on the, you know, we're just cutting it off and doing something. No, 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 no. And I get that, but we're doing two different things then. And I don't know if I'm making sense now. I'm trying to yeah. pull in these images that I've been working yeah. with to help yeah. me connect what I'm trying to do. I mean, basically what's happening is I'm going to have to come to one of your classes. <laughs> <laughs> Just right. At some point I'll be like, here's some money college. I'm just going to go sit in for a day. Just to take things deeper. So, I mean, we kind of just touched a lot on these really deep you know, deep topics without really, I mean, we're not going to ever, I think, really fully grasp and understand. I, I mean, I, that's what I keep telling. Like, that's for me, like, I'm going to, I'm going to keep wrestling with this. I may not understand it. I may not even accept it. You know what I mean? I know that. And I know that it's something where I think we have to also invite the, the journey for people of understanding of, their story and how they learn about relationships and how they learn about God in their life and um, how they've learned about how hurt has affected them in their life and, you know, where that takes us because it's a lot. It is a lot. And um, if I can throw a couple more just quick little tidbits out there, because I know that you probably want to wrap up soon, but I, you know, going back to biblical ideas, you referred to pleasure as a justice issue, right? Yeah. When does the Bible ever talk about sex as pleasurable? No. Hmm. And in fact, there's one moment where Sarah says, in my old age, am I to have pleasure? And I kind of play with that in, in one of the videos because she's not actually referring to having an orgasm. She's referring to the social thing of the social respect of bringing a child into the world. Hmm. So what is said about sex in the Bible is not very helpful. Sex is something men do to women in the Bible. That is what it is. Mm. So, Kara, there's a reason why you are so needed. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I'm like, I mean, how many years has it been? And we're just, I mean, really, the science of sex is so, it's yeah, it is so young. Yeah. And the f stuff that we are learning, I just took a six hour pelvic floor physical therapy class where we just, Ooh. I mean, the amount of muscles, we have 28 yeah. muscles in our pelvis. Right. For those of you who are listening, <laughs> <laughs> those muscles are sore, sex can hurt, you know, and we don't understand a lot of this stuff. And yeah. I mean, that's why I'm saying like the more we're studying and the more we're allowing ourselves to be vulnerable and to get to know the human beings that we are and how we relate and how our bodies function together. I think that is what opens up the, to me, who I think God to be creative. Mm -hmm. You know, like if we, if, if I believe that God created this planet, that guy has to be pretty darn creative because there's a lot of weird things out there. <laughs> a lot of fascinating, beautiful, lovely, but oh. like what's up with all the sea creatures and the weirdness and craziness. Yeah. Or know? even just go look at a plant really closely. I know. Like, I mean, 
It's amazing. Yeah. And I think the more that we enter in and allow ourselves to go there with our bodies and with our relationships, like that's where we see the magic. Yes. Agreed. That's that's what I've been learning. I wonder if that's why God has been wanting all along. (laughs) You know, like unleash the magic that you guys hold that I created. Yeah. Why is it taking you so long? Yes. That's where I'm at with all this. Absolutely. I'm your, I'll be your biggest cheerleader, you know? Yes. (laughs) It's important. And there's a reason why we're lacking in it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We're we're reading ancient texts on these ideas. I know. We're like, wait a minute, let's go back there. So tell us then, you know, (laughs) what more are you working on? Where can people find these videos and learn more about you and your book? And or books, you've had two books, right? Okay. Yeah. So I do. I mean, I do have a website if someone's mm-hmm. interested in checking that out, and it's just my full name, so Jennifer Gracebird um, dot com, and there are links there that'll take you to the videos if you're interested. Yeah. I the what I'm working on now is actually a book form of the you know the videos are a starting point, and mm-hmm. they're meant to be conversation starters. Um, and so I'm also then working on a more, a little bit more academically engaged and kind of more complete kind of a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, the video series is called Marriage in the Bible, A Discussion Among Friends. It's oh, meant nice. to be that, right? It's let's, let's talk about these topics. Um, so anyway, that's, that's what I'm working on. The next, the next step for me is this book on Paul that will... I've been trying to work on for 15 years. So <laughs> reading Paul read this. So that's a whole different topic. But yeah, I am very hopeful to offer some helpful guidance for some people on this topic. Yeah. Good. Very cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for talking with me and making my mind do somersaults. <laughs> so more. We need that. We need to be challenged. We need to look at things differently. So I think that's what you do. And I know as you read, as I read your book, I was like, what? And <laughs> some more things. And, and I think it's good to say, I mean, and I want to say, be honest, I think there were some things I read and I was like, this is amazing. And some things where I'm like, I don't know where I'm at with that, you know? Yeah, and I totally. think that's great. And I think people need to understand that that's part of the process and like in your offerings for people to be able to wrestle with that. And I think you're able to do that. So thank you. So everyone go find her books. <laughs> Thanks so much, Kira. This has been a delightful conversation. Awesome.